This is Consumed, the podcast that sparks conversations with eaters, drinkers, thinkers, and makers across California, and especially at its heart, the Central Coast. I'm your host, Jamie Lewis, a freelance food and drink writer based in San Luis Obispo. Mateo Rogers and Brittany Iracheta are the chef owners behind Momotaro Ramen, a noodle restaurant in the Paso Market Walk in Paso Robles, California. I met Brittany and Mateo while writing a story about steamed buns. At the time, they shared a mushroom harada bun with me, and it was one of those flavor moments where a taste really stops you in your tracks. It was so, so rich and concentrated with that pillowy bun and meaty filling that didn't actually include meat. I loved getting to know them better this time around. They shared about how Mateo was homeless for a while, how he won Brittany's heart with grits, how Brittany's pescatarianism, if that's even a word, informs the wonderfully meat-free dishes they've made together since their earliest days with heirloom catering, which they closed a little over one year ago. They are fascinating and talented. I hope that comes through loud and clear. Here are Mateo Rogers and Brittany Iracheta of Momotaro Ramen. Oh, and we start by talking about Mateo's very adorable food tattoos. Okay, here they are. Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to ask you about oh, your cute over, tattoos. Yeah. Will you tell me? <laughs> yeah, of course. Okay. We're both okay. pretty heavily tattooed. You are, but it's so cute. These little... I'm <laughs> oh, sure that's not the first thing you want me to say. No, no, it's, they, are. they are. I like them. Okay, so start here. That's garlic. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of like going over like my favorite veggies. Yeah. Uh, this one was a very old, old tattoo I got way back when I was in LA. Is that a fork and <clears throat> spoon? A fork and spoon, yeah. yeah. A lot of people think it's a tennis racket and something <laughs> Like lacrosse yeah, or something. Yeah. And then uh, celery, uh, red onion, carrot, shishito pepper, huh. avocado, eggplant, doubled for specific reasons, <laughs> and radish and strawberry. That's so great. Yeah, Did you get them all done at the same time? Yep. And boy, did they hurt. Did, I bet. <laughs> Never thin the fingers, yeah. Yeah. I just got my ears done and these didn't hurt. The ears didn't hurt nowhere near. Oh my near. gosh, that's... Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, I would think that ears... No, it didn't hurt at all. Okay, wow. Yeah, it was really surprising. Well, why why specifically those? I mean, on... Do Just you have a thing for garlic veggies. or... Veggies. Yeah. Well, I, you know, garlic's such a versatile... I feel like that was more mirepoix. Yeah, the, yeah, this one was definitely more mirepoix because mm-hmm. it's such a basis in a lot of cooking, minus Japanese now. Yeah. Um... And these were just some of my my favorite veggies that I like to use and enjoy personally. Yeah. Um, shishito peppers are probably one of my favorites. Totally. Um, avocado, obviously. Yeah. Eggplant's really good, and I think it's very uh, versatile, mm-hmm. even though not a lot of people do use it as much. Uh, radishes are great. Uh, strawberries, you just can't go wrong with. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. I'm glad I noticed that. <laughs> okay. Well, so you guys drove down from Paso. Is that where you live? Yep. Okay. Just moved there. Where were you before that? Tascadero. Okay. Yeah. Not too far. Yeah. And you're... Are you from North County, both? No, no. you're yeah. from South County. Yes. Yeah, originally. Yeah. Are you from Napomo? I went to Napomo High School. Yeah, I grew up um, in the five cities, and then, yeah, we bought property in Napomo, and I went to high school in Napomo. Yep. And then afterwards, I did live in Los Angeles, went mm. to culinary school in Pasadena at La Cordon Bleu, and then mm-hmm. did end up moving back here a bit after school, and then um, had never lived in North County in my entire life or spent much time up there really until uh we started uh until we got together and then once we started dating and then the pursuit of business and then just the 
idea of a thriving business in North County and then meat is really kind of what put us there. Yeah. 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 And I would say that you guys for sure fill a niche up there. I'm we trying like to, to think, think of any so. other yeah. place that does quite what you do. And <laughs> There's I can't. no ramen. The only spots closest are here in Slow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Raku, obviously. Yep. And, um, and Kuma's out Kuma. in uh, yeah. Losos. 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 Yeah. yeah. They have a ramen on their menu. Yeah. But no other place, I don't think, in the county. No. And I have to say, ramen. my gosh, the stuff that you make. I mean, I've only been the once, but I've told everybody about it because <laughs> it's really like concentrated flavor. It's clearly yeah. different. From other um, other places, I've I've had ramen. Well, with our our adventure, yes, thank you. With our adventure of of creating this concept, um, come to find out, a lot of places, even places that we enjoy in LA, uh, in LA, uh, use concentrate, you yeah. know, for their bases. Yeah, and um, that was one thing that we were always against. We wanted to offer an experience that was as close to traditional as possible. Mm-hmm. That's why you don't see a lot of funky, weird ramens. I mean, we've done a couple here and there. Like, we've done a kimchi ramen. That was a huge hit. Our Halloween ramen is a lot of fun. What's that? What's the Halloween ramen? Um, I'll just show you a picture. But <laughs> yeah. um, it's it, we call it the Oni King ramen uh, because Momotaro is based off of a children's story. Um, huh. They... Um, he goes and defeats the Oni King, which is like a, a goblin or, or ogre uh-huh. of sorts. And uh, we say he brings back the best parts to serve in oh, our ramen. It's disgusting. I mean, yeah, it's like you know, it is. Yeah, it's yeah. You know, the eyes actually bleed. And, you know, we, we inject them with, <laughs> with, with, uh, with some safe dye. Um, so when you cut them open, it does definitely get bloodier. Oh, but this is so funny. The broth is, um, it is our tenkatsu, so it's still the pork broth, but we do mm-hmm. put um, cuttle some cuttlefish ink yeah. in there. Okay. And then we do use a black sesame um, paste in the tare, so mm-hmm. it makes it help kind of get that really deep black yeah. as well. So still a very rich broth, but it's getting even richer with like that cuttlefish in there as well. Um, you still get the pork bones. So usually what mm-hmm. we're making the stock out of, we're actually getting some of that marrow. And that's that, right? Yeah. 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 Yes, those are the bones we use. And just and listener, I mean, there. I got to. Those are hot dog fingers. I was. <laughs> yeah. Big in Japan. Um, yeah. A lot of the time they do use hot dogs, especially like to kind of make into whether it's like little octopuses or, you yeah. know, something. Um, There's a lot you can do. Th- I mean, <laughs> well, so, so it's in this beautiful bowl did Heidi Peterson do that okay so this gorgeous Heidi Peterson bowl um and there are two eggs are they tea eggs or something oh those are well they're there are marinated style eggs yeah and they look like eyeballs yeah and then there's these there are these four hot dog toes or fingers Um, but I couldn't tell that from looking yeah. at this. It's so they gross. Came out, they came out they a lot like better fingers. than we yeah, originally yes. were hoping for, so it worked with, out perfect. With fingernails, is mm-hmm. it coconut or something? I know those I are mean, onions, raw onions. Oh, you guys are so. Which funny. adds it adds actually. You know, we tried with all our food to make sure everything in there edible compliments, um, and it's nice as those little bites of raw onion. Yeah, really. Oh, helps. I'm sure it's yeah. tasty as all get out. Yeah, it's really good. I believe really good. it. And it's a lot of fun. But you only do it on Halloween, right? Only yeah. on Halloween, okay. like the week of. We do it for about a week. Um, but that's about as crazy as we've gotten. Other than that, we try to definitely keep to a very traditional sense of ramens. Mm-hmm. Um, and more so just to offer the community what a good bowl ramen is and could yeah. be. Um, and then, you know, once we get comfortable and once the community gets comfortable, I think we'll start venturing out and having some fun ones using mm. duck, lamb, things like that. Yeah. yeah. So you were saying the Momotaro story, which if I remember... 
I think when I wrote about you guys, I looked it up, mm-hmm. but I don't remember what it is. Can you tell so, the yeah. story? So Momotaro is actually a story that my grandmother used to read to me growing up. Uh, it translates to the Peach Boy, mm-hmm. and it's about an elderly couple out in a village in Japan that finds a peach floating down the river, mm-hmm. a giant peach. Um, the grandmother brings it home. You know, she's excited. I'm going to be able to feed my husband. You know, he comes home from the orchards. She cuts it open and there's a baby inside. Mm-hmm. Um, the baby then grows up. They, ne- they couldn't have kids or they didn't have kids. And so they obviously accept the baby as their own. It grows up into a warrior, so to speak. And he makes uh, his mission to go to Oni Island. And uh, depending on what story you read, there's a few different versions. Kill the Onis. Uh, cause them to surrender, whatever it may be, uh, because they pillage their village basically mm-hmm. yearly. Once a year, they come and take their women, take their treasures, all that kind of stuff and food. So he sets out on this journey to Oni Island uh, and picks up a, uh, a dog, a sparrow, and a monkey to help him uh, defeat the Oni King. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and they get there, defeat the Oni King, and bring back all the treasures and happier, happier ever after. And he's Happily special after. because he came out of the big peach. Yeah. And because he was yeah. wanted, loved, and yeah, chosen you know, it's and... it's it's a little weird, you know, just a baby popping out of a peach. But you know, it's, it's just a fun children's story, you know. And our whole thing was it's bringing comfort uh, to one when you know, like your grandma's reading or mother, for that matter, is reading yeah. a story to you, bedtime story, whatever it may be. Uh, it brings a sense of comfort. Yeah. And so with our ramen, that is it is comfort food in Japan, and that's what we want to portray uh, with each bowl or each yeah. dish that they have. For sure, and it is comforting. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's soup, right? It's it's like chicken noodle soup at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. I love that. And it's it. And that story for you with your grandma was so personal. Yes, it's definitely a very personal touch. And we have the original book uh, displayed. Um, We finally got it uh, along with the wedding picture of my grandmother and grandfather. In, on the restaurant in the restaurant and they're both Japanese uh, no my grandfather is uh, from South Carolina we just found out or yeah. Georgia oh seriously South yeah. Carolina and yeah. um, he was in World War II uh-huh. I met her in Okinawa and then uh, you have Okinawa in you yes my brother oh, lives in Okinawa it's actually another island outside of Okinawa oh wow even so more smaller. obscure and mm-hmm. I forgive me I can't pronounce okay. it yet alone remember it <laughs> um, I know when I did find out what it was I couldn't pronounce it but um yeah, they uh, they met there. Uh, we just found out she was actually had a fiance since she was seven, so her family pretty much disowned her for a long time. Oh my Once gosh. they decide, once she decided to marry a white man. Yeah. And um, she yeah. gave up the arranged marriage. Yeah. Basically, and uh, and her family, right? Yeah, yeah pretty she, much. Yeah. It ran away basically to be young with his grandfather and uh, gave up a lot to end up coming here, which is yeah, is, her mother's yeah. side, which we didn't. I, I knew somewhat of the story. My sister's uh, much closer than my grandma as far as knowing a lot of the history. Yeah. Um, we just found out we took a trip to Vegas uh, on Easter uh, weekend mm-hmm. and to visit my grandmother there. And uh, we found out that uh, my grandmother's uh, mother uh, had some type of royalty, um, oh some some type of high up in the, in the hierarchy there in Japan. Right. Yeah. Um, and... They possibly could be related to the Tokugawa dynasty, which is the big samurai dynasty. Oh, actually, the last of the samurais was in the Tokugawa dynasty. And when um, I look at you, I'm actually thinking, yeah, I think that might be true. <laughs> <laughs> you look you know, like I you haven't can hang ver- with them. <laughs> yeah, I haven't verified it. Um, 
I've heard rumors uh, from family that she is related to some type of royalty, wow. um, but she lost all of it because she decided to yeah. marry my grandfather. Yeah. You know, so it's definitely it, it was a, definitely a love story. Aww. You know, love conquered all, and you know, in the end, I, I'm pretty sure that she did get in contact again with her family and everything okay, was smoothed out. Uh, before I'm sure a lot of them have passed. I mean, she's 85, 86. She now. said they visited a couple times here in the yeah. states. Well, yeah. that's good. That's a happy-ish ending. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. yeah, love does conquer all, but there's a lot of sacrifice that happens in between, mm-hmm. man. Mm-hmm. That's that's rough. Were you, so are, are you really close with her in terms yeah. of like, if she's reading you bedtime stories? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I like to think we're really close. Um, uh, yeah, it's, I haven't seen her, though. It's been probably about five years when my grandfather passed away mm. um i went to his funeral and i got to see her then yeah and then uh since then this was the first time okay yeah. covid had a lot to play with yeah the fact that obviously one originally we thought she would be able to be at the grand opening of the ramen shop mm-hmm. like a lot of the decisions that we made regarding whether it was name or just a lot of things really when it came down to just like colors and and like mm-hmm are like shibori patterns, like things like that we, for us, and like the branding really kind of came back to like his family yeah, and especially his grandmother. And so we were really hoping to have her around, but then obviously nobody could foresee that COVID was going to uh, (laughs) kind of take over all of our lives. And so obviously with her age and everything, we weren't willing to risk her coming um, here. And so... I think that was really kind of what drew out over the two years yeah. of us mm-hmm. not being able to see her. Um, and then we finally just got to, which was great. This is her first time That's in awesome. here. She really liked her. Yeah. She's yeah, like, yeah, big. Oh, she's <laughs> tiny. Tiny, she, tiny. She yeah. barely comes up to my chest, like my diaphragm. That's yeah. so crazy. She's itty bitty. It. Did you grow up in Las Vegas? Uh, no, I grew up in the Central Valley. Oh, okay. Where yeah, were you? Hanford. Okay. Yeah. And then left when I was 18. Uh, experienced some hardship. I was making a lot of dumb decisions. Yeah. Um, and then went from basically being homeless for about a year to wow. making the decision to like, you know what, it's time to get my life together. Are you open to talking about that? At yeah. All? Okay. I'm always open. Um, when you talk, I mean, I'm always curious, like what was the moment when you realized I don't have options. I, I am without a home. Like, you know, because you can kind of, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, no. but you can kind of couch surfing, you can do this, yeah. you can do that. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, my, all my choices have run out. Well, yeah. You know, when my, my mother kicked me out for good reason, um, I was, uh, I was being dumb. I got arrested for uh, a theft, mm-hmm. um, went through the system as far as the, uh, like county and the jail and everything. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, got out was still thinking I knew better than everybody else at 18 years old. And my mom's like, all right, I'm had, I've had enough, yeah. you know, and she kicked me out and I was like, okay, well, screw you. Mm-hmm. I could do better. So I thought, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, ended up homeless. Um, I did couch surf a little, um, I'm, I'm a, <laughs> I did sleep in, uh, the Burger King play gyms actually were the warmest places to sleep. Oh uh, I'd have to hop God. the fences and sleep inside. It was nice and warm. What an interesting um, thing you would never. Yeah. Guess, you would, right? yeah. You know, you, you, you're surprised or you'd be surprised what you have, how much you have to think outside the box when that situation arises. Thankfully, it wasn't because of addiction. It wasn't because of anything like that. It was just stupid decisions on my part, uh, thinking I know better than my parents. Um, and um, once I got there and was there, and I, I, was, I was stubborn and hard-headed for the you know, first six, seven months, mm-hmm. you know, thinking, I was like, you know, this is fine. I could, I could live like this. This isn't a problem. Um, but then to come to realize, like, you know what? I wanted a lot more. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be something else other than just a bum on the street mm-hmm. and, and mooching off people. 
And that's when it kind of made the decisions like, okay, I got to start rebuilding. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to start from ground zero. <clears throat> um, got jobs, um, multiple jobs, moved to Fresno, uh, lived in a motel for a long time, mm-hmm. um, just working, trying to get back on my feet, then got a roommate, and then it just slowly progressed from there. Um, and then I wound up back, or wound up back up in Hanford, and then for about a year. And then after that, I was like, okay, I need to, now that I'm on my feet, mm-hmm. um, I need to make a decision on what to do with my life. Mm-hmm. I've never been a nine to five to sit behind a desk. Yeah. You know, I even now I fall asleep at the computer easily. <laughs> I don't know how people do it. My father was a computer programmer. He taught himself and he was successful mm-hmm. with that, but I just wasn't that kind of person. Yep. And so um, I made the decision to go to culinary school. Um, and just from there, just kind of just work hard and keep going and yeah. don't stop. And you've worked in a lot of places, if I remember mm-hmm. right. Yeah, I've been all over L.A. Yeah. So did you, uh, were some of those early jobs when you were coming out of the system and coming out of homelessness, were they hospitality jobs or was it kind no, of just whatever? No, it was just whatever. I, I worked in an agriculture uh, irrigation uh, manufacturer, like they manufacture the hoses for fields. Um, I worked at a fabric store and shipping and receiving. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sold Kirby vacuums door to door. I sold perfume and cologne out of a bag in a parking lot. Um, <laughs> so I'd like to think I could sell ice to an Eskimo if it needed to be. <laughs> yes. But um, yeah, it's it's. I've worked odd and in jobs, and you know, and always worked hard, and always didn't matter what job I had. I always made sure you know, one, I tried to make myself irreplaceable, and two, yeah. you know, put 100 percent in. And if it wasn't something I was going to do for the rest of my life. Yep. You know, because I did get a lot of uh, good technical skills out of a lot of the jobs I worked at. Um, but then it was, it wasn't, I still wasn't quite happy. Mm-hmm. Still wasn't quite happy. I couldn't know what I wanted to do. Um, and the whole cooking thing was just starting to gain popularity. Um, but re- really, I think, turned me on for it was Anthony, Ber- I think it was Anthony Bourdain's episode on Ferran Adria uh, over in Spain. Yes. And the whole molecular gastronomy thing right. was just starting to kick off. And that just fascinated me. And that's when I think I made the decision to full-fledged throw myself in the culinary. Is this, oh, I'm totally name-dropping, is it El Bulli? Is that yep. the restaurant? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I remember, <laughs> yes. I mean, I've never worked in a commercial kitchen. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I'm just a fangirl. So yeah. the fact that I remember that is so <laughs> odd. <laughs> um, so that, yeah, the molecular gastronomy stuff was really, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. And especially when it was first coming out, it was like, it was more entertainment also yeah. than just food, mm-hmm. and that's exciting. And it was fun. theatrical. Yeah. You know, and that's I, I like that aspect of it. Totally. Did you ever get into any of that stuff? I dabbled a little. It wasn't – I I thought I wanted to go in that direction, but then soon realized that it, was, it wasn't a um, – it wasn't um, – I uh, can't think of the word. Uh, mm. it, it wasn't uh, practical. No. In the culinary industry. Right. You know, and if you did go down that road, you had to be a hundred, if not a thousand percent focused mm. on that specific to make yourself anything in that, in the, in the molecular side of, of cuisines. Um, and then, you know, just obviously working with some chefs that did a little here and dabbled a little there with it. Um, it's still fun. I think it still has a great um, space to be used in the culinary field, mm-hmm. but not hundred percent focused on it. Yeah. Yeah. I just find it. I mean, I, I've never dined. I'd love to go to Alinea. Like, mm-hmm. that would be a great. Yeah. yeah. That would be yeah, a. Both. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Let's go together. I've always wanted to go there, but um, especially since, um, oh gosh, what's his name? What's it, Dan? Grant? Grant, yes. Grant, Grant Ashes, yeah. Ashes, that's right. When he, um, you know, the throat cancer thing mm-hmm. and all that, I feel like it would even be more um, yeah. meaningful now, yeah. almost, to yeah. go now. But he, I remember there was an episode of something. 
where they were talking about, you know, you take a, a spoon that has a jellied bite of like pork and apples or mm-hmm. something like that. And you have one little bite and it explodes in your mouth and it's pork and apples and it's so amazing. I mean, I'm that's definitely not a way to sustain life. No. But I really want to experience that at some point. It's fun. You know, we had or I had the benefit of working with uh, Jose Andreas, who partaked oh in a lot of it, who studied under um, uh, Ferran Adria uh, back when he was younger. And um, he uh, he opened up um, Bazaar by Jose Andreas in yes. L.A. And yes. I worked for the same company that partnered with him. And so it was fun. It was good to experience a lot of those molecular things that he did. Um, but again, it was definitely theatrical. It wasn't mm-hmm. sustenance. Um, I mean, it was, but it wasn't sustainable uh, to you know give life. Yeah. And but it was a fun experience. Um, it's it's to me again, it's a, a, a theater yeah. performance versus uh, a cooking and, and eating performance. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot sure. of fun. I want to take a second to talk about a couple friends of the Consumed Podcast, like Midstate Containers. My contact at Midstate is Jake Knotts, and I have his permission to share about something going on with him personally. Jake lived in Ukraine for many years, and he married a Ukrainian national, his wife Anya. They live on the Central Coast now with their three kids, but when Russia invaded Ukraine last February, Jake was right back there, helping his friends, acquaintances, strangers, and even their pets to escape. Since that time, he and Anya have worked with a team of very capable folks to start a nonprofit called Restore UA, which seeks to organize, fund, and execute relief efforts in Ukraine. Jake is still on the ground in Eastern Europe, coordinating with people here on the Central Coast to fill containers from Midstate with humanitarian aid and ship them to Restore UA's headquarters in Poland. Every dollar donated to Restore UA goes straight to humanitarian relief efforts for Ukraine. They even have people sewing bulletproof vests for soldiers fighting Russian forces. It's incredible. The organization is starting to fill up more containers as I speak, and they could really use your financial support. To make a donation and learn more, visit RestoreUA.org. Thank you. Do you want to be more intentional about the meat you eat and feed your family? Have you even considered giving up eating meat entirely because you can no longer justify supporting the inhumane and industrialized system that brings meat to your dinner table? If you're looking for a simple way to guarantee you always have access to healthy, sustainably farmed meat and wild seafood, the Larder Meat Co. is here to help. Since 2016, Larder Meat Co. has been delivering farm-raised beef, pork, chicken, lamb, and wild seafood sourced from right here in the Golden State to customers who demand the highest quality proteins as well as intentional sourcing standards and transparency. A convenient club box from Larder Meat Co. makes it easy to automate the most important part of your monthly food budget. You can build a custom box or choose from one of the many curated bundles that LMC offers. As a Larder Meat Co. customer, you are supporting the ever-dwindling ranching industry that has fed us for generations, and you're building a sustainable future for your family, our ranchers, and the planet. Use code CONSUMED at checkout to save $25 on your first subscription and check healthy farm-raised meat and wild seafood off your grocery list for good. That's LarderMeatCo.com, promo code CONSUMED for $25 off your first subscription. 
Consumed is sponsored by Slow Life Magazine, a lifestyle publication that celebrates life and culture in San Luis Obispo, California. I write the food column for Slow Life, and I'm actually going out tonight to cover the new restaurant, Cult, for the magazine. I'm going to meet up with photographer Jess Lerner and owners Nino and Cher Ang, and we're going to eat, chat, and snap, and I can't wait. To make sure you see the final product when it comes out, get yourself a subscription at slowlifemagazine.com. So you both worked in L.A., but you didn't meet in L.A. You no. met up here. Okay. No. Yeah, I actually didn't work in culinary at all in L.A. Oh, okay. Yeah, so... How did yeah. you meet? In a kitchen somewhere? <laughs> no, I was making the bread for the hatch. Oh, uh, right on. Yeah. <laughs> That's and, awesome. And um, he used to... At the time, he had to come and get the bread from us because we were not delivering mm. to Paso Robles. Mm-hmm. I think I was the first restaurant to start taking their bread up north yeah because we um really just focused on more san luis obispo and so one and at the time you were commuting i think from Morello grande yeah. mm. so he was commuting from Morello grande to paso and so he was able to stop in in san luis and get bread from us yeah and once he moved into north county it was like what do i have to do to get the bread delivered obviously yeah. and we were like well get us accounts and he did. Yeah. And um, and you were like, oh. No. I was a little tougher than that. <laughs> <laughs> Took some coercion on my part to convince her otherwise. Yeah. Uh, no, it was definitely the food. It was uh, over grits. Yeah, it was the grits. But um, <laughs> I need to know more. Yeah. <laughs> I need to know more. What's the grits? <laughs> it was the grits from the hatch. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, I'd actually gone in to dine. Um, one evening, like he had been getting bread from us for a while, and um, I kept telling her to come in. Yeah, like he he invited it. all of us like <clears throat> all the time. Well, I did, but wanted her. To yes, come. right. I didn't want <laughs> to make it look too weird. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. like every you know, and it was funny because like the owners of the bakery were always like, "Oh yeah," and everybody always talked about about Mateo. And, like, mm-hmm. I feel like what was that eight years ago um, or so? You know, the food scene like we still had. Um, you know, Artisan was still around. Yes. Um, I feel like Thomas we... Hill. Thomas Hill. obviously. Like, Via Creek was still around. So we still had, like, our staple restaurants that yeah. were in Paso Robles that kind of paved, I think, our, our culinary scene and kind of put it For on the sure. map a little bit. Mm-hmm. And... But at the same time, there was, I feel like we have a new wave of chefs, you know, a lot younger right now. And so I feel like Mateo... And hopefully people don't take offense to this, but like, I really do feel like Mateo kind of was one of the first people to come from a bigger area and kind Mm. of expose our area to like a newer side of, of eating like that side, that kind of side of like family style of eating and kind of get like the way that he's always looked at food and the way that we approach catering too is like really gathering everybody back around a table to really enjoy eating together. And Mm. so I feel like, Everybody was talking about it. <laughs> it was kind of annoying. Um, <laughs> like everybody was talking about the new chef at the hatch. Like, have you heard about this? And like for me, it was automatically like, no, like I haven't. Like, eh. and uh, so finally, like uh, we were going, and so when he came in to get bread, I was like, oh well, actually, we're coming in tonight. And he was like, oh, and we we did, and got treated very well. Um, 
I feel like we ate probably like 80% of the menu at least. Um, and the sherbet and grits that were on the menu, um, the grits are, were, I, don't, I can't speak for them now, don't know, but at the time the grits were fantastic. And um, afterwards I would say, I don't know, a month or two went by and I made a joke one day to our driver and he was like packing up the order. I was like, tell Mateo to hook it up with some grits, like that on the way back. Awesome. I didn't think he was actually going to say anything, but he did. And he comes back with two quarts oh of my grits. Gosh. And you ate them all up, <laughs> all at once. With a snarky remark yep. from the chef. Yep. And uh, yeah, and that was kind of. I love it. that. Yeah. I love it. It really was the grits. You it were, really yeah, was. Yeah, okay. yeah, I was like, yeah. No, it no really, it's not. It, it truly was the grits. And I pretty what, much told her I sent my business card and said if she wants to thank me, she could text me personally. I could thank him personally, and I was pretty appalled. Um, she did in at first. Oh, and you didn't do it? No, I was appalled. That, that's how he like thought he was going to get around asking for my phone number was <laughs> me thanking him personally. Oh. I was like, I'll write an email. Um, yeah. So, like like this, I'll write an email. Yeah. I'll send him a postcard. <laughs> pretty much. I was like, how oh, dare he? Um, but, and that was pretty much the start yeah. of us. Yeah. 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 And then the business, I mean, how soon after did that come? Well, I left the hatch, I think, within a I was there for two years. We were probably dating eight months, maybe a year mm-hmm. before I left. Um, and then we started, um, once once we parted ways with the hatch, or once I parted ways with the hatch, uh, I was just like, I don't want to work for somebody. Yeah. You know, yeah. if I'm going to do anything, I'm going to do it for myself. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and she was still working at the bakery. Um, and um, we pretty I just much told hit her, the pavement as yeah. hard as we could. With yeah. I was like, let's let's cater. Let's and catering was always going to be a stepping stone to brick and mortar. Mm-hmm. It was never an end goal by no means. Yeah. Um, and so we just hustled. She was still working at the bakery, so a lot of it was just me going downtown to all the tasting rooms. Mm-hmm. Anyone that I knew that I met at the Hatch, I made a lot of great connections there with a lot of the winemakers and owners mm-hmm. of the wineries and stuff like that. Um, and just started sitting up menus and telling people, hey, we're catering now. This is what we could do. You know, let's let's go. What's and the name? What were you it under? It's called Heirloom Catering. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, um, started with pop-ups. Um, and then I feel like we maybe did a handful of pop-ups before we really, like our first legitimate catering gig, we were extremely, I don't know if lucky is the right word to say, but I mean, our first gig oh, yeah, was, was for Caduce. And so, oh, wow. Yeah, the yeah. Maker. yeah, lucky. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so we gosh. did a set of lunches for, you know, we were at La Ventura, Lenny Colotto, um, yeah. McPrice Myers, and Dinner. Uh, you we, could do much worse. <laughs> yeah, so it, yeah. Really, it really set us up yeah. to be successful with catering. And when she was saying we were doing pop-ups, it wasn't like the pop-ups that a lot of the chefs are doing now. We literally, we call it a pop-up because we put a pop-up tent and sell food to the public. Yeah. Um, and that was the start. And then, and we started at 10 City Cider. Mm-hmm. Uh, our first thing was a Moroccan beef stew bowl and, and bread bowls. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. most people are used to, especially in that area, like 10 City and, and bars and stuff are used to burgers, fries. Yes. <coughs> Maybe Jesus. pizza, something yeah, like that. Yeah, you know, nothing. Yeah. It was substantial as far as quality goes or interest. I yeah. mean, you can have an amazing burger mm-hmm. and it can be just otherworldly, but as as far as like programming a yeah. menu with something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or it was a lot of like barbecue or tri-tip or yes. whatever it was and we definitely like when when and I feel like anybody can kind of stand to this whether you like food or whether you've lived somewhere else and you're a transplant here like you miss street food, you miss yeah. ethnic food, you miss things that you can't get at any hour of the day. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like 
even though we started with like the Moroccan beef stew, excuse us, um, it was, I feel like a little, we started in December, mm-hmm. so it was colder. Um, I was making bread bowls and then we were serving them, you know, in the bread bowls and then we slowly evolved and we were doing tacos. We did street tacos. We were doing all these different things that it turned into things that we missed really yeah it was more so yeah. especially with our pop-ups it was stuff that we we missed from the big cities yeah um bon mis, mm-hmm. um we east asian noodles east asian style noodles yeah and also it was a it was an opportunity for us to dabble with what concepts were people wanting out here yeah like what can yeah what could sustain work. or last. yeah exactly yeah and mm-hmm. um like the East Asian noodles is a huge hit, mm-hmm. um, and it sells something that's kind of on the back burner. Yeah. Um, the bombies were a huge hit. The street tacos were a huge hit. I bet. I bet the street tacos. I mean, that's just something that feels to me like not a bridge too far yeah. for people yeah. that they can get behind exactly. that yeah. mm-hmm. they without feeling like they're yeah. trying too hard. No, and ours were definitely like still out of the box tacos, but they were comfortable enough that people they were familiar, but people were willing to try like. Mm. our take on something that was classic like for sure you know we definitely brought i feel like more of a newer concept or i guess like a very mateo or a very Ooh. much like mm-hmm. ethnic like a carnitas taco we were yeah. making a salsa verde marmalade so we were cooking down oh my salsa gosh. verde you know making it a little bit sweeter and that was the base of the taco with obviously carnitas we're pickle still doing lime but then we were hitting them with a the pickle tomatillo so you had that acid bomb yeah. with them. So in, t- in turn, it complemented the sweet. Yeah. But people were so, like, always a little taken aback at first. And they were like, oh, my gosh. Like, I'm always so surprised. And then it became like a, it was a signature thing. Like, yeah. you know, that was always a stable taco. Yeah. So, And a person could stand at the menu and be like, carnitas taco, sure. And yeah. not even realize yeah. when they get it. You know how it with tastes. our sada or with our chicken yeah. mole, uh, we did lengua too. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people love the lengua, but it was it was more so. It was just familiar. They knew lengua. They knew yeah. what it was. They knew the, the word. They didn't know what anything else on the taco might have been. Yeah. But they knew it was lengua. They knew it was carnitas. We had veggie ones as well, um, and it was just a big success. And it was a very comfort uh, approach for people who might not necessarily always eat lengua or might not yeah. eat certain things that you would find on a taco and we tried to make it as approachable as possible and it worked mm-hmm. and it, worked, it was very successful for us um and it's still something we would love to do uh out here as a you know just a cool little street taco yeah themed casual spot like in slow you want to old wherever wherever mm. the, the path takes us hmm. okay. there's there's like four or five <laughs> stuff like concept on the burner mm-hmm. and it's more so it's just waiting to the right time yeah to whether it's the right time or even the right location location you know, if, I, if the yeah. location pops up and you're like okay we have this concept that will fit that specific location yeah. then we'll go with it yeah and that's it There's... tell me well and tell me about so how does west 46 you, so you wind up getting the brick and mortar that you mm-hmm. wanted mm-hmm. okay and so what did that i never went there what did it look like um, was it in the old in that barn? Yeah, yes. yeah. Okay. So, um, believe it or not, like most of that building is a kitchen. Uh, oh. <laughs> it's the kitchen was massive. We were super oh. grateful and really lucky to kind of like roll into that space. Like it was a lot of work for us as far as like finding the right equipment to go in there um, because we were on propane. We're not on natural gas out there. Yeah. Um, but our walk-in was 
You could probably fit forty dead bodies. Maybe. <laughs> oh, let, let's bring it there. Oh. Let's let's talk about like maybe like you know lambs or something. Yeah. <laughs> dead bodies uh, have been mentioned on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, like we took it right there. Um, but you know, we had a, we were super lucky. We had a giant walk in that was super efficient. It worked great. Um, we originally had, like thought about uh, the excuse me the idea that you know if we were going to cater out of it and use it as like we were going to run you know whatever concept we mm-hmm. hadn't quite nailed it at you know at the approach when we were approached we didn't know exactly what we were going to do but we knew that we can have multiple uses out of this one space yeah. they were going to have a tasting room in the front um we had just pretty much a walk-up window mm-hmm. where you can order in at the time we really kind of thought that like okay maybe we'll get like some weekend business yeah and really thought we were going to use it and utilize it more for catering and really we had no idea how <laughs> much we were going to become a staple to a lot of our friends is really what it ended up being is we made those relationships when we were catering and working with all those wineries mm-hmm. and we became such a staple like and we didn't realize one all the people that are going out to work there's nowhere for them to eat they want to eat mm-hmm. too <laughs> yeah, yeah you know and so we became and we had online ordering available so you mm-hmm. can arrange your pickups so we were very much a, a sandwich shop um that we, we evolved into that though we yeah start we yeah. started with lunch and dinner mm-hmm. um and dinner was good uh we definitely fed the uh hidden valley ranch area yeah. right there that community mm-hmm. uh we did see a lot of the neighbors from there come over but eventually it was um it started to dwindle off and it's like you know they only could eat there so many times we didn't expect them to yeah. to support us a hundred percent um so we made the decision to ixnay dinner and focus on the lunch crowd and um even with the lunch specials we were doing and stuff they were still larger plates so we dialed that back mm-hmm. and her being a baker by trade um we started going with the sandwich idea mm-hmm. i'm a huge sandwich whore. i just had high street before here oh you know? <laughs> which one did you get uh dutch punch yeah and dutch then punch. i got a half sandwich of just one i created i, love I always it. eat at least one and a half two sandwiches <laughs> every time um maybe it's just because i don't get to come up here often so i got to get it all in they at once such yeah they job. do great sandwiches yeah. um so we we kind of piggybacked on their idea as far as having just good amazing sandwiches um and then did some seasonal appetizers as well we had a mm-hmm. huge garden there on site so we tried to use as much of that as possible we hired a, a lady who would garden for us and maintain it for that's us awesome. um that helped a lot um and then it just kind of blew up as far as the sandwiches went that's what the big focus was and people just loved them mm-hmm. um and what i would it was a hard time for her to uh grasp the concept but it's i always said it starts with the bread Mm-hmm. You can put anything totally in between agree. two slices of yep. bread and call it a sandwich. Yeah. But if that bread isn't the right consistency of bread to to ingredients in the sandwich, it could throw the whole thing off. Yeah. You know, and she made an amazing ciabatta um, mm. along with a lot of other ones. We did rye. Um, we did Dutch crunch in the end. Um what other I, I, oh french i mean we did <clears throat> i just i'm just now really i didn't realize that you came from a baking background yeah yeah so so that makes me think about what i had up at um the ramen shop was that is it harada bun yeah yeah and that was a game changer for me. <laughs> so now I get it more that that would be something that you would... In my wheelhouse. Yeah. Yes, in your wheelhouse. Yes, exactly. absolutely. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, no, not at yeah. all. Yeah, yeah. So definitely like things that... Um, all things like carbs, for sure, are definitely more <laughs> my wheelhouse. Um, or like flour-based, absolutely. Yeah. So um, yeah, as, as Mateo was saying, like we did... Ciabatta was like the bread and butter as far mm-hmm. as like most of our sandwiches came on ciabatta. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was definitely like... 
ciabatta can definitely be a bread that's really dry and um, exactly yeah. and so you know making sure that we had a really nice ciabatta we yeah every day I was making ciabatta rye because we had a, a really nice pastrami sandwich we were also mm. doing um, a beet Reuben um, for a veggie one uh, we were smoking the beets so that was a super cool sandwich um, I was making a Dutch crunch French um, I think that was it for sandwiches. Yeah, and then we were doing mm-hmm. specials. I did like a turmeric loaf, and we were doing like a BLT special. Yeah. Um, What's in a term- turmeric loaf? <laughs> it's um, it's almost like Cheese. a brioche bread, um, it on, uh, and it's just like heirloom? it's literally bright, fluorescent. Bright. Yeah. Yes. yeah, like fluorescent yellow. Um, so it looks like brio- like at the outside, it's a really beautiful like brown. Yeah. Um, and then when you slice into it, it's like fluorescent. Oh. Uh, it's super cool. We were using it when we were doing so BLT specials. BLT. You're so fast at pulling this stuff out. <laughs> insane. That is so beautiful. Did do you taste turmeric when you yeah. eat it? A little yeah, okay. bit. Like it's definitely not overpowering. Um, yeah. So. More than anything, it's the smell. Like when we're baking yeah. it, it, it's oh, amazing. Yeah. Um, we, to be honest, the most and like I definitely was known for like the focaccia that we had mm-hmm. on the menu. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. We would do like little cast irons of focaccia, and mm-hmm. I think the most popular one we did was like a potato and creme fraiche and thyme, and that Yummy. one was like definitely. Like Michelle from Enjoy Slow is always like, "Will you have the focaccia?" Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> no matter what I'm doing, like no matter what the concept of anything. To. Oh, yeah, Natalia. You- killing me here with the speed on getting these photos up. I think it's only because we know where to find them. It's Um, gorgeous. Puffing up like that. Yeah, I mean, would you do something like that? Would you ever consider bringing these things back? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You can ask almost every day at the ramen shop when we're bringing the sandwiches back. Yeah. It's it's definitely one of those things that we want to do. Our main focus right now is getting her a bakery. My and gosh, that's what I will we're looking keep for in my North eyes County. and ears open yeah. because that would be awesome. So anyone out there who yeah. has an idea on a, on a place for a bakery, let us know. Where do you want it to be? <laughs> Ideally uh, downtown-ish yeah. in Paso. Okay. There's no yeah. bakery there. Yeah. Um, and obviously our business and homes there, so it would make it a lot easier that way too. For sure. Yeah. Okay. yeah, we've been doing like all the legwork. Like we already have a deck oven. We have everything that we need. We're just waiting for the right location. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so together, you know, we kind of, I feel like complement each other yeah. as far as <laughs> made a good team. It's yeah. It's not the easiest road. I mean, you know, it, it, there's no way it could together. Be. Yeah. <laughs> there's no way, but the fact that you can make it work. Yeah, I, mean, I just have and, so much respect. There yeah. are so many um, husbands and wives who are working together. Yeah. Owning. I mean, you, you know, you look at. I saw you guys. I, I don't know if we saw each other, but. Um, down at Spoon Trade when they were having the little competition. Yeah, oh, yeah. 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 So much fun. But I was looking around at all the people I had interviewed. We've got, you know, Brooke and Jacob, uh-huh. and there's Harmony and Brian, yeah. and there's um, the folks from Peasants Feast. Yeah. Mike and, and Sarah, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And they just, it's so cool. It really does seem to work for a lot of people. It does, you know. And yeah. It's, it's nice because we can relate to all them. So when we get together, yes. usually with all those couples, it's, it's the girls go one area and they bitch about the guys and <laughs> the guys go to another area and, you know, bitch about the women. Yep. And Carrie and Will, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. gosh, such yeah. good they, people. They really are. And, and I feel like if anything, and one thing like that, I'm super appreciative towards like Brooke and Jacob for ha- having us all there at yeah. Trade for that was like, one, obviously COVID put us all in, in the same kind of box as mm-hmm. far as like our businesses. <clears throat> but I think all of us like that had restaurants really kind of felt I don't know if pigeonholed's the right word, but like I don't know if we all realized that we had so many people that we could talk to. Yeah, right. And being in that environment really put us like 
whether or not like the shit like you know all the guys and i say the guys like kind of loosely in the sense that like they're predominantly usually the chefs whereas Mm -hmm. like a lot of the significant others most of the time are running the front of the house aspects Mm -hmm. um you know they talk about whatever that whether it's like their prices of you know meat whatever it is whereas like how the prices are going yeah, yeah, constantly right. yeah you know and then but like you know the other things that of running the business it it was really nice realizing that like you're not in it by yourself and no. that you actually did really have somebody to talk to and i think the first time i realized it is we all got together one time and went and got a uh, went to uh, Korean, Korean barbecue, barbecue in Santa and Maria. like in Santa Maria yeah, yeah. the only place Spoon to trade Ember yeah. Peasants, Peasants Feast, Feast. And us. yeah and, and oh. Will and Carrie were un- unable to make it but they were supposed to come with us yeah. too and like it was just one of those things I was like wow like they really know exactly what we're going through and and mm-hmm. we're all persevering and you know mm-hmm. and you're like oh my gosh you dealt with that too like of course you did yes. how can I forget like and it really is admiring to see like you know whether or not like you know we looked like i had a really hard time with us closing heirloom yeah for sure yeah um like grief yeah 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 mainly just because i think for me like i was i, I was baking every day you know yeah you so must i think that. yeah so i think that was the biggest thing for me and the fact that it happened so fast for us yeah. too mm-hmm. um because we fought tooth and nail to keep it open yeah. Even with the pandemic and everything, we flipped our whole game plan. We were doing veggie subscription boxes when the pandemic first hit yeah. to wow. sustain ourselves. And then our big thing with the, the subscription boxes was to sustain the farmers yeah. in the area that we used. So in order for us to reopen, they still needed to be there because if we didn't use it in our garden, we'd use it from them. Yeah. And so we flipped to that really quick, and um, that helped us get through that pandemic. Mm-hmm. I was baking bread yeah. weekly for people. Like, yeah. if people wanted bread, I was making um, whatever I, I felt like really was kind of cool. I got to have some fun. Yeah, yeah. really. Yeah. I was making really weird stuff. But, <laughs> and I'm uh, sure people were like, whatever you want. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and then, like, we were making, like, cookies, and then we were able to get, you know, specialty meats for people that couldn't get meat at the market. You know, it was dairy. Eggs, milk. Yeah, yeah, all the things that people are having a hard time with on top of the produce. But, um, you know, and then the same thing, whether like the winery itself couldn't be open for a long time. So because they had different restrictions than like a restaurant did. So that affected our business. So then, you know, we were flip flopping more than we ever wanted to. Yeah, I feel like yeah. so we definitely were like at the mercy of not just ourselves, like being a, a kind of like a sublet a little bit. But um, I think the fact that it was just like, OK, and then now we're closing that chapter and like. Yeah. Moving on, it was definitely not something that we were expecting to do. Once more, I want to give love to a couple other podcast friends. Slow Food Co-op is your friendly neighborhood grocer, maintaining local, organic, and non-GMO standards. Slow Food Co-op sources from local producers, ensuring they offer their shoppers great food and household staples. With a mission to empower health and well-being in the community, they offer local produce, meats, low-to-no-waste foods, and wellness items. You can find Slow's only community-owned grocery store on their website at slowfood.coop. And visit Slow Food Co-op in-store at 2494 Victoria Avenue in San Luis Obispo, California. Native Nine Wine is part of Ranchos de Onaveros, a Santa Maria winery that sponsors the Consumed podcast. Owner James Onaveros was on the podcast way back in its first season, but if you haven't listened to it, I think this recent blurb from Food & Wine magazine will give you some context on who James is. This is written by Jonathan Cristaldi. James Ray Onaveros is a name to put on your short list of must-watch vintners. A ninth-generation farmer who works lands established by his family in the early 1780s, Onaveros decided to play 
plant vines on the property in 1997, after which he studied at Cal Poly, worked in Sonoma, and soaked up the secrets of the Pinot trade during visits to legendary Burgundy estates like Domaine du Jacques and Domaine de la Romanée Conti. Today, winemaker Justin Willett works with James to produce native nine wines, and they are destined to become commodities to stockpile. Out of this world aromatics of savory wild herbs, leather, and tobacco leaf are complemented by red currants and juicy cherries, all lingering through a long mineral finish. Well, I, Jamie, can confirm that the wines really are that good. Let the stockpiling begin at ranchosdeonaveroswines.com. Yeah, the the whole heirloom uh, kitchen eatery wasn't even going to be a concept. <clears throat> we were planning on catering and doing the ramen uh, due to construction. And then the pandemic, the building for the ramen got postponed. Yes, right. And we never... Castle Market Walk. Yeah. It was always going to be there, right? Yes, yeah, so yeah, it was always going to be it there. forever. Construction took a little bit longer, which is understandable. Permitting, yeah. all kinds of things change. New buildings. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. and then the pandemic hits. Yeah. So that pushed everything back. Yeah, um, they're supposed to open March of 2020. Yeah, and <laughs> so it was like we we didn't take any catering business through the last quarter of 2019. Mm. And when we found out that everything was getting pushed back, it put us in a panic. Uh, and then that space on 46 opened up, and we were approached by it. And we're like, well, we just we got to do it regardless. Yeah. You know, we need to start bringing some type of revenue in. Um and it just kind of blossomed into something that really was fun, that was uh, uh, perfect for that community out there. Because like she was saying, there's there's no place to eat out there. Yes, right. I mean, there's a few winers that have food, don't be wrong. Um, but but with, that's different. Like sitting with a charcuterie board is yeah, something that yeah. like, every winemaker is going to exactly, do at yeah. lunchtime. Um, so it definitely gave an opportunity for those employees that worked out there, along with the guests and tourists that were visiting, a place to stop to either sit and enjoy the wine and food that was there or the patio or grab it and go and continue on sure. with your day trip of wherever you're going. Mm-hmm. Um, so it worked out really perfect and it grew into some place that we really loved and definitely didn't want to close it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it happens. You know, as I, you know, she said she definitely took it harder uh, than I, but it was more so it was it was. I just keep looking at, okay, this is a stepping stone. This got us to where we're at, yeah, yeah. and it will continue to push us forward. Mm-hmm. You know, now we have the ramen shop, and we love the ramen shop, um, and we have many people asking us to take it to another town or city. Yes. Um, and I tell them, you know, as soon as uh, the process of, of duplicating humans right. is available, yeah, we'll cloning. do it. The cloning. Yeah, the cloning. Yeah, you know, it'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but for right now, our focus is the ramen and the bakery. Yeah. And then from there, the next few concepts that we have. You know, and our, our whole thing with it is we just want to bring fun, uh, ca- fast, casual style food yeah. to the area. Because I think we have a really high-end scene and a mm-hmm. very, lack of a better term, low-end. And yeah. I'll say low-end isn't bad. You know, you got your greasy spoon. I love. I'll, yeah, I'll yeah, tear yeah. down a greasy spoon burger or pancakes or sausage and gravy, whatever it may be. Uh, but there's no slight middle spot that has good go quality food. Maybe twice a week if you really wanted to. Yeah, yeah. And you're not you breaking know. your bank. Mm-hmm. You know, but you still get good food with it. And you're thinking lunch and dinner. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of the places that we love to eat, the places that are at, on that high end of things are dinner only. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I was just thinking about it yesterday. So I'd love to bring when company comes. I, I have a friend who's coming into town this weekend. I'd love to show him X, Y, and Z, yeah. but they're all closed yeah. and mm-hmm. he's leaving in the evening. So it's like. I, it would be great to have a place like you're describing. You know, it's just like with the ramen, you could have lunch or dinner. Yeah. Um, with a uh, East Asian noodle style place, it could be lunch and dinner. Yeah. Um, what other spots have we talked about? 
like actual concepts i mean i know you want italian but i mean italian we definitely want to do italian um i did a lot of italian in la uh with fresh pasta so that the end game would probably be more of a 60 75 seat restaurant that's italian concept Mm -hmm. but that's that's down the road and if someone opens it up before then by all means, that's fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And don't be wrong. There's like, there's um, Giuseppe's, which is great. Um, Flower House. Flower House, which is, is good. And obsessing about their... And it's a little... The concept would be a little similar to Flower House. It's a little bit smaller portions of pasta. Yeah. So you can enjoy multiple pastas in mm-hmm. one sitting versus you get one big plate and that's it and some yeah. bread and you're tapped out for the night. Okay. So that's funny that you bring that up. My husband and I went out to eat. We were at High Water last night and had a really great time. Um, and they serve... Uh, they're in the old sidecar mm-hmm. spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... They serve, their menu says things like, okay, here's starters, and that could be for two people. Mm -hmm. But then they have like large suppers that are for a group of people Mm -hmm. to eat. I will say, and I haven't told Robin this (laughs) yet, but I personally, I'm not a sharer. I don't like to share. And I, I feel like I'm the only person on earth who's like that. I know that, you know, small plates and tapas and all that. I can hang with that, but I really like my plate of food. <laughs> and if I want some of yours, I'll ask, and you can always ask me. But I think I'm like, am hey, I am I ninety no. years old or no, something? No, no, no. Uh, our yes. <laughs> Brittany, I'm, I'm kind of on. The, Brittany like, wants to no, because like I'm that. kind of. I very much am. Like, are you the same as that? I'm kind of like, what's mine is mine, and yes. um, but I also want what's yours though too a lot of the time, and so. <laughs> but at least a bite. Yeah, but I don't yeah. Want your whole thing. No, but I'm also fine. Like I feel like if I get like a nice plate of pasta, and like, mm-hmm. and if it's like, I, I don't want like a large plate of pasta. Same. Like, no. Like I just want like if it's. We'll like, do our hundred indiv- grams or whatever. Yeah. If it's like my individual, like I like, he. Usually if we go out places, like, we order way too much food and, like, we have, like, a million plates on the table. But, like, if I have something, like, I generally want it as mine and I don't want to share. I understand that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So (laughs) on certain things, like, yeah, I totally get you with that because I I don't want to share it. And I think on on certain – with certain things, I do have a heart like pastas. My only thing with that is my French fries. Don't touch my French fries. Yes, okay. Those are mine. But you know what's so funny? I don't know how often you guys eat at home. Never. Not really much. (laughs) But you know, we eat at home, what, 95% of the time, and that's all sharing. Everybody gets the chicken and everybody gets the potatoes or whatever it is. I think when I go out to eat, it's like I get to choose. I don't have to cook. I don't have to clean up. Yeah. Give me my thing and leave me alone. And that's understandable. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. when I go out, I tend to order. Sorry, did you cramp? Yeah. He oh, are you getting a leg cramp? Oh, you poor thing. You <laughs> don't have to all talk. The time. No, it's okay. <laughs> it just caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting it. Um, he orders like I. I, I think order everything, order, and yeah. I. Like I try to finish it all. Menu, and I'll no tell the server, what. like, listen, yeah. let the chef know I'm not sending it back because I don't like it or I didn't finish it. No. Because I didn't like it. I just I want to try everything. I de- isn't that pretty common with chefs? Don't they I all feel like order it, yeah. everything? Yeah. Like to be honest. Having friends that are not in the culinary world and them coming out with us or even, like, my mom over time, like, Mateo and I have been together now for a little over seven years. Like, she's learned. Um, Like, watching and, like, I just don't even bother half the time looking unless there's something, like, I'm I'm really dead set on ordering. I'll be, like... Make sure that we get this, but otherwise I don't even look. And I know that he's going to order way more than we could ever probably finish. Oh, absolutely. There will... He will be uncomfortable. Um, yeah. But, and we'll give it our damnedest to finish it all. But at the same time, though, like, 
it has turned into that you do want to try everything and especially if we're out of town or somewhere that we're not going to have the opportunity just to come back right away you want to put as much stuff in your mouth as possible of course well and i mean i feel like that's job that's good education and research honestly yeah yeah Truly, especially if you're out, <laughs> outside of town and you're looking for, I don't know, we're all inspired by each other's work. Right, right. right. I mean, and, that's, and that's more so what it is. So I want to try everything that someone has there so I can take inspiration back yeah. from it. Totally. It. Yeah. What's mm-hmm. the last inspiring thing you ate? I don't even know if I, I could answer inspiring? that. That's a hard to be honest, I was actually, I really, I don't know if you've gone to In Bloom yet. Um, no, but I know the psalm there. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, I really loved the ricotta nudie, like okay. hands down. Yeah, it's been, it's... and also the sun chokes that they sent out um, were phenomenal. It had yeah. like a marigold. Chef Ron, uh, yeah. Chef Ron is that yeah. who it is? Uh, well, Chef, Chef Kenny, Kenny and oh on, yeah, he was on maternity leave. Okay, and Chef Ron sent out, yeah. uh, but Chef Ron sent out some sun chokes, and they had like I think it was a marigold balsamic on them, yeah. and oh, or amazing. marigold glaze. Yeah, they were just everything is just so thoughtful that mm-hmm. they're putting out and. Um, so far, I mean, we're I'm waiting to go back. Um, yeah. But that's a good, yeah, that's like the good, just like okay. texturally too. Like it was just so nice to see such like a very thought thought out. I guess is like the best mm-hmm. way to put it. It was just yeah. the texture was perfect, the consistency, the flavor, the salt was perfect. Like the acid, mm-hmm. it was really good. I'm yeah. a fool for nudie too. I just oh, so good love yeah. it. Mm. Love it. So, okay, yeah. I will. Yeah. I'm all the ricotta nudie. You can't go wrong. It was so good. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I want to get in there before the peas go off. Yeah, they have a new pea dish. Yeah. Spring. Yeah. Your time's a ticking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, real quick, I want to ask Brittany because I didn't get around to it, but where did the love of baking come from? Did you grow up doing that or did Absolutely you? Absolutely not. Really? <laughs> no, my my fam- my mother is not domestic. <laughs> She'll be the first one to tell or you. Or grandma or uh, grandpa or something like that. I mean, so my, my dad said the family's Hispanic and yeah. like I felt like my entire life, you know, my I never, what I appreciate now and what I wish I would have like, you know in hindsight, like learn from my grandma Mm. is what I'm calling her and asking her how to do now. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) You know, and it was always like the, like, you know, you should learn this from your grandma, go learn from your grandma. And I was very much a stubborn, sassy person that I'm very much now, but I'm, um, I do want to learn these things from my grandma. Yeah. Um, No, I, nobody in my family is very, like my, my grandma makes three meals a day still all from scratch and she's amazing. Um, Incredible. Yeah. Incredible food. Um, they don't live close to us. They live like eight hours north. Oh. Um, so yeah, if anything, I get to call her and I get measurements that are, you know, if you <laughs> oh, put your hand gosh. like this and that's how much salt you need. I'm like, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> that could be... I'm a baker. So can you give it to me in grams? <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but no, uh, my mother is not domestic and she'll be the first one to tell you. Like she laughs, she does hair and people will be like, oh, did Brittany get her baking from you? She's like, absolutely not. Oh. Like, no. Um, <laughs> And to be honest, I'm not really sure. I, I worked for Cowboy Cookie when I was in high school. And I think, honestly, like, that's what sparked it for me mm-hmm. um, as far as, like, an interest goes. And I'm not sure what really set it off. Like, I when I – towards the end of high school, I got really into, like, whether – I was cooking a lot at home and then I was baking a lot. And at 15 years old, I was literally left to, like, to run the entire operation um, wow. at the original spot at Cowboy Cookie on Toro, like oh the tiny God. little, love, but yes. we did so much product too at the same time. And I think I was just really responsible, but like with it and academically, I was expected to go to college mm-hmm. and 
I excelled in school, but I just didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And so I thought I was gonna like beat the system of my mom. And uh, so I went to culinary school mm-hmm. because I was going to college, yeah. even though it was you know way too expensive. You found the workaround. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much, yeah, I, I really showed her. Um, <laughs> and so I, you know, I went to the Corn and Blue and I specifically went into pastry because a lot of people don't know, but I'm actually pescatarian. So I, oh. <laughs> yeah. I don't eat a lot of uh, meat in general. Um, and so that was like, for me, the really defining reason to not go into culinary is I knew I wasn't going to eat whatever mm-hmm. we were making. Mm-hmm. And I knew that was a requirement. And so um, solidified more than anything, my real passion, I think it really kind of came alive when we were baking in school. Mm-hmm. And um, when I first moved back, I was super young. I went, I graduated 17. So when I moved to LA, you know, went to culinary school, wow. very young. And so when I first moved back, it was kind of like a panic of mm-hmm. like, what am I doing? I just need to get a job. Yeah. So I didn't work in, in any food service. Um, I actually worked at like a resort in Pismo at Sea Venture. And yeah. like, I ended up in the kitchen a lot, uh, helping them with like stuff, like just because they'd be like, oh, I need you to help like make fondant like figurines and, yeah. and things like that. But um, it wasn't until I actually started working at Back Porch that I got back into food. Mm-hmm. And so what really drove it to, for me, I'm not entirely sure. It was just the fact that it connected for me and I got to make, and actually I know what it is. I got to make something with my hands. Mm -hmm. And the Mm -hmm. fact that at the end of the day that I'm creating something that I get to see start to finish what the end result is and be like, hey, I did that. I think that's really kind of what did it for me. Mm -hmm. And I like bread specifically for the fact that like, it's, I think a lot of people think it's super challenging, but to me it, it is a, a very chemistry, just like all baking, mm-hmm. but it's easier to figure out where you went wrong, mm. I think. Like, I think you've seen it over time. I could just smell it usually and figure <laughs> out. I, I've heard that smell is yeah. the number one. Yeah. Like, once you've been doing it for a long time, that's what tells you where you yeah. are in the process where, and where it went wrong. Exactly. So, yeah. I mean, or just when I could tell that something was overproofed before, like if somebody mm-hmm. else did something, I'd be like, how long did it sit out? And they're like, well, it didn't just tell me like, but I know it did because it's <laughs> overproved like you know just I definitely just appreciate things that can I guess be slow she definitely has the baker's and pastry mindset mm. perfect example is when we're making bread and we were at heirloom or wherever when we were baking the bread I need to look at it I need to touch it I need to smell it I need to to see it open the open door the to oven, oven mm-hmm. which you can't do with bread no <laughs> so i lost a lot of my privileges usually <laughs> at heirloom when trying to help bake the bread because i wanted to open it yeah you know i wanted to open the oven door and you know she has that kind of patience for it whereas mm. i with the savory side of cooking you don't necessarily need quite as much patience you don't wait you taste yeah, as you, you go. taste as you go mm-hmm. you can manipulate as you go yeah. with bread you try to manipulate without a game plan without a formula it's not going to turn out regardless yeah you know so she definitely has that more uh pastry and and baking mindset than the two of them out of the two of us it's not stressful for me where it is for him yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah and a lot of people yeah. i think it can be very yeah. stressful yeah. well now that i know you're pescatarian that probably explains why you have that the mushroom dish that's so good <laughs> the, the the filling on the harada bun that was oh, like the, well yeah. you do a lot with mushrooms yeah uh that's to be honest, it's why no matter any concept, whether it was catering, whether it was at Heirloom, why we've always had a pretty um, 
solid solid it's robust yeah yeah lineup um the same thing went for when we were doing the ramen shop why we made sure that we had a very um withstanding i guess vegetarian ramen uh that's one of the most disappointing things is when you go out places and and as your vegetarian option it's it's an afterthought or it tastes like water um, sandwich wise it's just a bunch of condiments condiments yes that's yeah. usually my oh, joke is it's a condiment sandwich a veggie sandwich is the worst yeah. usually yeah and, and it doesn't it, have it, to be right no it really doesn't no. and so for us and i think that's really kind of what did make us stand out for a lot of things mm-hmm. was the fact that we did put a lot of thought into things and yeah. it wasn't because it was everyone's first choice it's just because no. we wanted well one i want to eat what we're making yeah um, and, yeah. and not hate it Um, And two, we want to stand behind and we want everything to stand just as true to our most popular dish, whether that like at at the ramen shop that is our signature, you know, our Momotaro ramen. Yeah. We want our veggie ramen to stand just as strong against it. I appreciate that. And that was the same thing with heirloom. And, you know, it's funny with heirloom when we did we did a pastrami uh, sandwich. Um, but we wanted to change up the veggie sandwiches we had, and one of them was the smoked pastrami. Mm-hmm. Reuben, we did. Beet. Or beet, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people didn't read the full description. They just saw Reuben on the menu, so oh, they order it. Yeah. But then they'd come back, they're like, holy cow, that was the best sandwich I've ever had. Yeah. But like, I didn't even know it was beets until I bit into it. Yeah. Shout you out know? to Chris Cherry. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Accidentally uh, yeah. got it for the first time, and it ended up being one of his, like, Ultimate, consistent favorites, yeah. oh. sandwiches that he got all the time yeah. see that's the best that's the best that then it landed yeah and mm-hmm. then that, with our veggie ramen you know um we let a lot of people uh, uh know that you don't have to be vegetarian to enjoy it. you could add the spicy chicken which I, sure. I recommend adding spicy chicken to it over the pork um but it uh it stands up with with any of our meat uh dishes on the menu yeah you know and it's it's a rich veggie option it's not uh, a light veggie option by no means, which mm. I feel like a lot of vegetarian food outside of fried vegetarian food yeah. is definitely on the lighter side, which is nothing wrong with that. But like she was saying, she wanted her veggie ramen and that ramen's all her. I didn't have anything to do it's with satisfying. it. Satisfying. You know, you want, it, you want it to feel like a ramen. When you eat a ramen, you're like, man, that was a ramen. You, yes. You're a little heavy in the stomach, but you're okay. Yeah. Um, you wanted, we wanted that same feeling evoked when eating a veggie mm-hmm. ramen. And so I think we accomplished that with the one we have. And, you know, it's just as popular now as, as any of our other ramens I on the menu. Yeah. I mean, those mushrooms were special. Yeah. yeah. It's really, really, really good. Um, we've been talking a long time, which I could keep going. <laughs> I mean, you know, when I met you guys, I remember feeling like, oh, shit, I could talk to these people forever. Um, and it turns out it's true. Yeah. Thank uh, you We so love talking much. about food. Yeah. You know, um, well, and other things, too. I remember we yeah. talked a little bit about um appropriation and all kinds of interesting stuff mm-hmm. there's just a lot to there's a lot that food is a doorway to i yeah, guess 100%. you know far yeah. more than just eating it evokes a lot of emotions well i think yeah. that's what she said with our original idea with, with cooking is bringing people back around the table mm-hmm. and it doesn't necessarily mean you're talking about food it's just opening it's a conversation doorway yeah into so many different topics in the world right now it's but so it all true. evolves around the table and revolves around food and everybody has to eat and everyone has to eat yep and there's nothing wrong with that and if you were on your last day and you knew that you had to eat something and you were like you know what i want this to be special for my last day what would you each last separately mm-hmm, eat and drink and who would be there i'll let you go first why would you do that to me that's so <laughs> challenging because like right now what i'm obsessing over may not be like my last meal obsession exactly <laughs> oh. well it's like for me i would probably ha- i mean honestly this changes every day but really really good sourdough and salted butter 
I mean, that sounds delicious. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. But that's not something that I'm obsessing on right now. It's just like, it's so solid. Mm-hmm. So good. Bread's always, always such a good answer. Um, <laughs> as far as like food goes, like I'm such a sucker for cacio pepe. It's, mm. it's ridiculous. Um, You're welcome. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, and you don't have to worry about how you feel the next day either. So you can just. Not usually. And I mean, more often than not, I get a very lackluster cacio pepe usually <laughs> going out places. But um, a solid cacio pepe. Um, but I do stand very strongly with you about a good slice of bread. And I generally don't even need butter. If it's mm. just fresh out the oven, yeah. I'm very content. I'm a sucker for mezcal. So oh. any good mezcal cocktail. Um Gosh, Oaxaca and Napoli or something. You've got yeah, yeah. very, very mezcal. opposing um, areas. And then as far as like who would be present, probably just my family, to be honest. Yeah, I guess you're included in that. Oh, thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> you are included. Um, of course you are. Okay. Honestly, I think it comes down to it and cooking for so long almost 25 years now there's that cramp again um, <laughs> now i can recognize the yeah, facial expression yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um honestly it's just a good smash burger and some fries mm-hmm. i you know like I was, I was going into the i was saying cooking for 25 years you know i've cooked really high-end michelin star worked with them um and we always, as chefs, always go back to the simple foods. Yeah. You know, it's stuff that, I mean, hell, even Hamburger Helper. You know, I box a Hamburger Helper any day. Don't care. Ground up beef, fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as weird as it sounds, because, you know, yeah, it, you know, people think, oh, it must be foie or it must be, you know, white no. anchovies from Spain or, you know, something super decadent. And, you know, just a good home-cooked meal for my mom. Mm-hmm. Or a good smash burger sitting in my 53 Bel Air in a diner, you know, and having Elvis next to me. Mm-hmm. Probably be it. I for sure. It. I love it. Yeah. Those are good answers. <laughs> okay, you guys. Thanks for coming over. Yeah, thanks for thanks having us. This That's another episode in the books for the Consumed Podcast, which is produced and edited by me, Jamie Lewis. Special thanks to Stefan and Elisa Geraldo of Geraldo Creative Studio for their beautiful video and photography work that's kind of sprucing up my Instagram feed at Jamie C. Lewis, as well as on the website, letsgetconsumed.com. And thank you listeners, as always, for tuning in. Until next time, I'm Jamie Lewis. Jamie Lewis.